pensioned veterans, and everyone who's ready to change their lives. Welcome to the Christina Silva Show, educating our veterans live. Join your host, Marine Corps-trained motivator, Christina Silva, as she connects with experts, innovators, and military heroes. Now, let's get started. Here is Christina Silva. Welcome to the Christina Silva Show, designed to empower you with creative resiliency solutions in 2021. How do we do that? We do that with America's greatest experts that have served in our United States Armed Forces especially our elite United States Marine Corps. So joining us today is our very special guest, Master Sergeant Robert L. Jackson, United States Marine Corps retired. He was born in Washington, D.C. and decided to enlist in the Marine Corps in 1975. And he's trained as a combat engineer, ready to fight the good fight of faith with his voice box. That's right. Robert L. Jackson is on the Christina Silva Show educating our veterans live about how you can communicate your dreams into reality. And with over three decades of experience, he's also a new mentor to the Christina Silva show. Welcome Robert L. Jackson, USMC retired, educating our veterans live. Hey, good afternoon. Happy new year. Happy new year. I'm so excited (laughs) to share with our guests about all of your experience as the communications strategist in operations and also supporting the amazing populace at Marine Corps Logistics Base, Barstow, California. And first, we want to get started with some of your youthful experiences in school, your family life, growing up on the East Coast, and remembering the day you stepped on the yellow feet at Paris Island. Take it away, Robert. Okay. I was born in D.C., but spent most of my youth in Maryland, between Shadyside, Maryland, and Rockville, Maryland, where I graduated from high school, and then finally uh, landed in Gaithersburg, Maryland. My youth, well, it's uh, <laughs> it's got a lot of twists and turns to it. I was in, uh, I'm a product of a single family home, and spent some time in foster care, um, and I guess because of that, I spent a lot of time in the books, vice, running the streets with a lot of my other friends. So uh, education was a big deal in, in my household. Um, when I, it's funny, though, when I finally moved back home with my mom, the rest of my siblings, um, completed high school. And I think it was my senior year. I guess I must have got bored or starting to have too much fun, but I was messing up in school and my mother took me down to the, uh, yeah, my mom took me down to the uh, recruiting office um, at that time and it was either or. Either you go back to school or you join the military because you're not living here if you're going to be cutting up like that. I said, well, I guess I'll go back to school. And then two years later, to her surprise, after I graduated, Uh, I signed up for the Marine Corps. I thought we were going to have an all-out war in the house because it upset her. (laughs) That I wouldn't, two years earlier, I refused to sign the paperwork. And then on my own, I decided, eh, I'm bored. Let me go join the Marine Corps. Um, But uh, the first time I stepped on those yellow, yellow footprints, I was like any other young man or young lady, totally in shock. Especially since I didn't know from which direction the drill instructors were coming from, because it seemed like 
they were all over the place. You make a slight move out of turn and they were on you like a pack of wild dogs. So, um, but I enjoyed it. I endured it. The training was tough. And the only way I got through with it is uh, through humor. Of course, using my own mind. You can't say much unless spoken to. And uh, I I just had a blast with it. Um, And I'm glad I I made the move that I did because it kind of helped me grow up. If you if you know what I mean, that's incredible. That's what the Marine Corps does. It gives you the foundation along with your parental guidance that you need to truly bud into a man. And you became a 1371 combat engineer. What does that mean to you? Actually, it it was fun. It's not something I wanted to do initially, but uh, by going in on an open contract, you know, I didn't have an MOS selected prior to going in. Um, I got into the engineers. It was fun. Uh, a lot of my fellow Marines were, they were clowns, but we had a blast. It was all about having fun. And we learned a lot. Um, and the only reason I really got out of the field was because I had done something similar to it prior to joining the Marine Corps. I did a little construction work. I did a little janitorial work and I did landscaping as well. But those things weren't challenging enough to me. Um, it's, it's physical, and, and I could handle that just well. But mentally, it wasn't challenging enough. So that's why I decided to make the move that I did into then public affairs. You know, And I'm glad Incredible. I made that move as well. Yeah. That's so incredible. You have a varied background, but you stay true to what you really want to do. And the Marine Corps does afford those changes, but we learn policy, we learn plans, and we certainly learn how to fight. So oh, share yeah. with the world, just so nobody gets it twisted, all Marines are trained to go to combat and also to deploy because your duty stations over the years and your billets changed. And that's how I want to find out what you did to land in a career for over 30 plus years of what you love to do from the camera to combat. Share with us those transitions and some of the places that you were stationed. Okay. Well, of course my first duty station was out in the sticks as what I call it as camp of June. Um, and then from Camp Lejeune, I was still a combat engineer, and I went to Iwakuni, Japan for the first time. That was in 1977. It was while I was in Japan that I switched MOSs. And the main reason for switching the MOSs, other than the fact that it was combat engineer wasn't mentally challenging enough for me, was that uh, all day long, every day, we built embarkation boxes. And I got bored. So <laughs> I, I went to the career plan and I asked him, I said, man, I need to change MOSs. I need to do something else. <clears throat> Excuse me. But in order to get into this particular field now, I had to retake the ASVAB. It's like, okay, fine. I'll do it. Passed it. And I said, okay, now what can I do? And I <laughs> went, went down the list and I said, what's this public affairs specialist thing? He said, oh, that's the base newspaper. Sweet. I'll take it. So, <laughs> so I got into that, and uh, I always had an interest in, in photography anyway. Uh, writing, and of course, I uh, spent quite a few months, years, I guess you could say, writing letters and poems to my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. Um, and my writing skills improved quite a bit from there. 
once I got into the MOS, though, the public affairs aspect of it, oh, my goodness, I had so much fun. Here's how you do this. This is what you do. I mean, I had a, 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 was a Staff Sergeant Treadwell. I was a corporal at the time. I can't even remember everybody's name. So Staff Sergeant Treadwell, though, was my teacher, mentor when I first got into the field. And I picked his brain, and he taught me a lot uh, about, you know, interviewing process, how to take your photos to match up with your story, these type of things. And the first time I got published, I was like, oh, look at this. I'm in black and white. Yay. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so from that moment, when I first got published, it, it was on at that time. You know, it was on and I, I've been having a blast with it since. Of course, going through there, I went from Iwakuni, Japan to Cherry Point, North Carolina, where I worked on the Windsock newspaper. And I went from your basic reporter to sports reporter, to sports editor, to assistant editor on the newspaper. Now, that was in a course of two years. Um, and I guess I'm a quick study. So <laughs> that's why I kept moving up. You had a question? I'm sorry. I do. I'm just commenting on the amazing way you paint the picture of Marine Corps. You're so calm, cool, and collected, but I know that you're lethal under those words with having to write stories of varied circumstances from sports to situational awareness to what the Marine Corps really does, because there's mm -hmm. got to be a lot of legitimacy to the stories with integrity. Those are some of the values Marines have. And also mm -hmm. in public affairs, it has to go up the chain of command to get approved from the angle or perspective of your own voice. So that's oh, yeah. what I want to know as a young uh, budding journalist and reporter. What did you learn from that mentor and from others coming up about how to write the story with the right edge and pushing the envelope sometimes, too? Well, right from the, the beginning or the get-go, if you will, you have to decide on which angle you want to take on writing a particular story, uh, whether it's a personality feature, a human interest story, a news feature, or even a news story. News, of course, you're going to go straight at it, giving the direct information. Here it is, nothing sugar-coated. This is what's going on. When you are writing a human interest story or a personality feature, uh, of course, with anything, let me back up a second. With anything, you have to do your research first. You have to know your subject before you write about it. Okay, so uh, with human interest stories and with personality features in particular, which I love, by the way, uh, you always have to do a little background check. Um, Get with your subject, set up the appointment, and tell him or her what you want to talk about. Uh, now, it's up to them whether they want to do it or not. But see, I have this way of saying, oh, come on. You have a story to tell, I'm sure. What are your hobbies? You know, I kind of nitpick until I get what I'm looking for. And, uh, and then I take off from there. Generally, when I finish the story, uh, and it takes me hours sometimes to come up with a polished story. Uh, over the years, I've managed to write the story in my head before I put it on paper. And then once I put it on paper, polish it up a little bit, polish it some more, polish it some more. Then I vet it through the subject that I was uh, writing about to make sure everything that he or she wants to put out there 
is correct and accurate. So that's how I do it. Writing. It does take several drafts to get to the finished product. And today we are hoping that you're learning from the Educating Our Veterans Live testimony of Master Sergeant, retired Robert L. Jackson. He's on the Christina Slova Show sharing the softer side and also the very professional side of being in public affairs and media for so many years with us. And if you're interested in learning how to change your MOS, all you have to do is keep abreast of what's happening in the Marine Corps because your desired best wish list dream career may be right under your nose. So you love photography. Pictures yes. make a big difference in the story. So share with me your first camera and how you were so grateful to land a public affairs position because those are limited and even closed in today's Marine Corps world, right? Oh, yeah, it is. It's a very critical field right now, especially in the Marine Corps. I, I picked up photography when I was in high school. I had a little 110 camera. You know, slide to the left, right, uh, that I got, uh, and, and I just started taking pictures. Um, part of that was because in the early years, I used to get, I was into art heavily. So I went from sketch pad to camera and composed photos just using my eye, using it as an artist's eye, a painter's eye. And from that point on, it just shot off. Uh, when I joined the Marine Corps, or not joined the Marine Corps, but when I got into this MOS, the first time I had a full-blown, real 35-millimeter camera, I was like, hey, how do you work this thing? So I figured it out, and plus I had, uh, during the, my training at uh, Defense Information School, we had a couple of, couple of weeks of training in photography. So I still use the artist eye to get what I want to go along with my story. Of course, these days, because of my position now as a supervisor, I really don't have to write as much as I used to. So I'm more of a paper pusher now. So I still read, read edit my other folks' uh, articles. And because of the, my background, my years in this field, I can tell when you give me a first draft. I can tell. When you give me a first draft, I'll look at it and say, go back and try it again. Okay, because this isn't right <laughs> wow. So you would say it's really important about the delivery of your product that gives you the voice. And it's also about how you're well studied and you appreciate drafting your works, even if it takes 10 times. But there's nothing like having a grand proofreader that's on the same page that lives the Marine Corps life. Right. It, that is so correct. I mean, you have to be upfront. You have to be accurate. You have to be honest. You know, those you keep those things in, in, in mind you could be very successful in this field. Um, and also, and we talked once before about approaching your subject, how if you want to do an interview, you have to be somewhat assertive and somewhat aggressive, but not overly so, okay? You want to get your subject comfortable with talking to you. And uh, there are ways to do that, you know. I can't give away all my secrets, but, but there are ways to do that. This is great, Master Sergeant Retired. Can I call you Rob? Please do. Please Thank do. You I, so I, much. Haven't, I haven't been a Master Sergeant active for over 20 years now, so uh, Rob's fine. 
this is great to know. We're taking you from your camis to your civvies, staying in public affairs. You've taught us about what Marine Corps values are in writing and still maintaining your perspective and talking with your interviewees in reading and writing. But now mm-hmm. let's get into some of the interviews that are coveted to you in speaking to interviewees and then transcribing those live interviews onto video and then onto blog posts mm-hmm. and the prospector. The prospector. Prospector. Ah, uh, Wow. It's a, it's a fairly simple process, to be honest with you. The process from interview to draft to publication. Um, again, everything starts with research. Again, uh, and what I didn't mention before, you have to know your audience. What does your audience want to read about? What do they want to see on video? How do we keep them educated and entertained? All these factors, all these things factor in your final product, okay? Uh, it's about education and entertainment. What's the best way to go about it? You as the author are the ones that have to, number one, know your audience. Number two, know what you're writing about or what you're videotaping. And number three, how soon can you get it out? Okay. How soon can you get it out? Because you can't sit on the news, number one. It has to go right away. News features, hey, those, it depends on what the subject is. It could be timely or timeless. So um, that's up for you and you as the author and your bosses to decide. They can say, well, I want this to go now. Yes, sir. Not a problem. It's on its way out. Okay. Um, but that's pretty much, pretty much the basis for all of it. You have to know your audience and how, who you're writing to or for. That's great. Deadlines and the newness of news with the expiries with social media. Take us back from the way print media used to be done way back and even video interviews way back. Some of the technology and then just help us get adapt and overcome Marine Corps way to the transformation of today's news media world. You've lived through it all, right? Yeah, you're asking me to go back to the dinosaur age, okay? <laughs> Take us back to Afropix and <laughs> Polaroid cameras. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it, in the early days, they called us Remington Raiders because we had manual typewriters. And when we at Cherry Point, and in all places since, uh, since I switched over to the field, up until about mm, the 90s, I want to say, early 1990s, where everything was cut and paste. Excuse me. We had, we had a publisher. We had uh, all of our publications up until I got here to Barstow were commercial enterprise newspapers. Um, so the publisher the, the, of the company it would have us bring all of our material down that we wanted published. They would print it out on this machine. <laughs> We'd have to go down to proof it. And unlike today where you can backspace or delete or whatever on these computers and all of that, you either had them reprint the whole page or cut out the one little word with an X-Acto knife and paste it in and hope you get it straight. So, uh, the, and yeah, I, I, let's see, when, about 1988, about 1988, 
8788 is when we got the word processors. And to us, that was like, we're in heaven now because now I don't have to worry about using whiteout or tape or anything like that to delete my paperwork. I didn't have to worry about carbon copies, you know, of wow. my stories. So we had word processors. Still had to save the, the uh, copy, though. Um, and that was my first dealings with computers. And those were, they were all pretty much self-trained. You know, I had to figure it out. Here's your new computer. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this? I don't know. Self-taught. Self-taught. Uh, yes. So that was the process. And that's going back to the dinosaur age is what I call it. You know, because from cut and paste to now everything on a computer, spit it out to the printer and there's your publication. Sounds simple, but it's a lot faster now than it used to be. We used to be, I used to go down to the plant during the cut and paste days. And at times I wouldn't get home until about one, two o'clock in the morning after only taking a break for dinner and lunch. So uh, after I got married, my wife was a little irritated by that, but I was like, hey, baby, this is the business. You know, this is how I make my bread. This is how I keep food on the table. This is how I plan to succeed by putting in the time required. You know, so. Most definitely. Well, some of the content of the stories, I want to talk about how media truly affects us as a person, spiritually, mentally, socially, physically, Mm -hmm. and the awareness about what you're putting out. It actually, you take that to heart. So how did you stay fit? having to deliver the good, the bad, and the ugly over the years of your Marine Corps experience, and also as a civilian? Well, my, my thoughts about it, both as a Marine and now as a civilian, haven't really changed that much. We are still required to tell the Marine Corps story, regardless of what the subject is. It could be bad news. It could be good news. The media expects nothing less from us. They always want us wants to know, want to know what's going on on the base. What are you doing today? What events are going on? Hey, I heard this building blew up. Tell me what happened. You know, just as a, as an example, that didn't really happen. But uh, and it's our jobs to give it to them straight. And if it's hard news, don't sit on it. Make it swift. Make it accurate. Make it concise. Just get it out there. Once it's approved by the commanding officer, of course, and that takes a couple minutes. <laughs> okay. That's the huge caveat if you want to keep your job. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because you don't want to put anything out there that he doesn't approve of, he or she doesn't approve of. And at times we have to go, depending on what uh, the subject is, <clears throat> we may have to take that particular write-up all the way to headquarters Marine Corps and make sh- and get their blessing on it. So. Um, we have different channels since my commander here takes care of all the local stuff. He approves it. We're good to go. Anything dealing with, uh, controversial issues, uh, it doesn't matter what it is. It'll go from my desk to his, to Marine Corps installations West, to Marine Corps installations command, all the way up to headquarters Marine Corps, uh, and before it gets blessed off on, Okay. And then once we met, meet those cha- uh, channels, make the corrections that they want us to make, then it's blessed and we can put it out there. You can get it all done in less than 24 hours. Well, fans, 
We're talking with Robert L. Jackson. He has such a comedic side and the most big, infectious smile ever. And when I sat in his office, it happened to be November 10th, 2020, after the Marine Corps base birthday ball during the pandemic, the first of its kind. Let's share with the fans some of the events you've covered over the years, starting with Marine Corps birthday last year, and then take us back over the years to a couple of stories that are unforgettable that you've written about and videotaped on the Cron Log. Okay. Happy birthday, Marines. It's Oorah. Oorah. Semper Yeah, Semper Fi. You know, uh, out of the years that I've been around the Marine Corps, I must have attended, uh, either narrated, photographed or videotaped well over 45 of them. Um, I didn't realize I was going to be selected to do this. But the Marine Corps Ball's um, birthday ball as a whole, it's a very funny event, especially to cover. Uh, There's the ceremonial part of it. Um, This year in particular was a little different because it was we did a virtual cake cutting ceremony. And it was the first time here that we used a piece of equipment that allowed us to use two cameras to go from two different angles. Now, that's, that's forward thinking there, okay? Uh, we ordered the equipment back in June, I think, and that was the first a- event we used it on. It was like a portable production studio, and I had a blast with it. We also had uh, some of the stories that I've written over the years. Um, a uh, C-130 squadron doing a heavy lift for the first time. Covered that. That was at uh, Marine Corps Air Station, New River. Um, I've interviewed general officers. Had a great time with that. You know, these young Marines, it... Um, One thing I need to pass on to them about general officers, these folks are human too. And they have a humorous side to them as well. Once you get to know them and settle them in and do the interview. Uh, I've had some some interviews with general officers that were just downright fun. You know, initially uh, as a corporal or a sergeant, you see those stars and you're like, (laughs) I got to interview the general. Well, once you settle in and relax, these guys, they're so much, they're so interesting to talk to, you know, and their backgrounds and how they got started, whether it's an aviator or a ground pounder, grunt. Uh, the, these guys know their business. And I guess after so long, they get a little relaxed too. And they like to have, at least in my experience, they like to be able to sit down and talk to young Marines you know, and and put them on the right path to success. Uh, So that's helped. We, during a desert storm, I didn't get to go. I was upset about that too. Um, I didn't get to go. Instead, I was with uh, 4th Marine Aircraft Wing then. Now it's called Marine Forces Reserve. The, The CG at that time, I guess he was a little upset that he didn't go to, uh, to uh, Desert Storm as well. So what he decided we were going to do is go down to Honduras. That was very interesting. Hot. Very hot. And we did a command post uh, exercise down there. Um, visited an orphanage. At a, I think I sent you the picture there of a young girl attached to me. She, uh, 
I don't know. She was like Velcro to me all day long uh, <laughs> for the hours that we were there. So that was one of the most memorable tours that I had. It was an orphanage and, and it was in pretty sad shape. So we went, it was a group of us that went and uh, stayed at the orphanage, entertained the kids, played with the kids uh, for about four or five hours. Had a great time. And the little girl, um, she was in tears when I left. Okay. She, she cried and I said, well, I'm sorry. I have to go. But please try to keep in touch with me. And I gave their, my address to the, uh, to the orphanage and said, hey, little girl over there, she wants to keep in touch. I'm going to go back and talk to my wife and see if we can adopt her. That never happened because I got two daughters of my own <laughs> to raise. <laughs> my wife said, I know. But uh, that, was, that was great. I guess you could say... You know, after being in the field for so long, a lot of this stuff is just second nature. You have, you just develop a feel for different things and the way you want to cover them. Uh, events like a spring fest where the on-base uh, families go and enjoy a, a, an afternoon or an evening of fun. Um, new new items on in the Marine Corps coming out for testing or for uh putting out to the field for our Marines. Lots of different things there. You are definitely naturally talented given your photography background and your love for capturing pictures that go with your written works. You've dedicated your whole life to the Marine Corps, but I hear such passion and bearing and love and just comedic inlays with your personality coming through your work. No matter the duties and deadlines the Marine Corps requires, you still managed to intertwine yourself and to be yourself. And that is called being Tammy's two civvies, ready, resilient, and also relaxed in your field. Even if it's a four-star general or a celebrity coming for an event, you care about the Marines because you are one for life. I just want to applaud your service. And with every Christina Silva show, we remember everyone deployed, everyone that has or ever will serve, and those (laughs) from all eras. Right, Robert? Right. Well, thank you so much. You have to have love for what you do in order to succeed. That's the bottom line for me. And I love what I do every day uh, through my years in the Marine Corps, even now. It's, it's, it's a passion, yes. But it's like with any job. If you don't love what you do, why stick with it? Okay? So this one I love because it's, there's so many ways and so many things that you can do with this particular job skill. Now, I like photography. But I'm also getting to like videography as well. I like playing with the software that we use here. It's like it, I'm like a kid in a candy store when it comes to new software to help us do our jobs a lot better and to get the information out to our audience in a most convenient way, something and in a way that they can enjoy and learn from. So, yeah, you really do have to. Uh, have to love what you do. And, and yeah, I, I guess I do have a, a humorous side to me, but 
thank my mother for that one. The whole family. <laughs> okay. Well, we all know no man is an island and certainly no man can be without their parents and their fellow Marines to become the person they are whole in their duty. So as right. the press chief, you can certainly know how to admit your mistakes over the years in journalism and that you ate a lot of beignets and gumbo when you were in New Orleans, Louisiana at the 4th Marine Aircraft Wing. Tell us how you love New Orleans. Oh, yeah. New Orleans was a blast. Um, (laughs) What else can I say about it? We still had work to do. We still wrote stories. And and what was so good about that job, I mean, it was a great job, not just being in New Orleans itself. uh, You you had an opportunity, well, in my position as as a press chief, I had an opportunity to go to other reserve units and talk to those guys and see what they're doing, what their weekends and daily lives were like. Um, I didn't just sit in New Orleans the whole time, but New, excuse me, New Orleans itself was a blast. I loved it. Uh, even uh, before Toys for Tots became a Toys for Tots foundation, I worked a whole lot with uh, Toys for Tots at, uh, at the reserve uh, unit down in, in New Orleans. Of course, that's where it was headquartered uh, back then. Um, but the work that went into that to make sure each child, underprivileged child, had something to look forward to Christmas morning, you know, that, that brought a lot of pleasure to me um, as an individual, more, more than just being a Marine, but as a person. Well, with this little girl or this little boy, they won't be waking up empty-handed come Christmas morning, thanks to the Marine Corps, we got this. Well, we love our joint task forces and our joint communications where all the branches fight as one force to keep our land free. But there's nothing like Marines, air, land, and sea. Can I get an oorah? Marines and our reservists. We also include our families. And this year, we want to thank so many organizations like our Family Foundation, Tammy's Two Civvies, where we work with Toys for Tots. And we have certain highlights coming up because there's an annual plight to gather hundreds of thousands of toys. This year, in January, we're going to have the very special guest from Toys for Tots join us on the next episode of the Christina Silva Show coming up. And we're talking today with our special guest, Robert L. Jackson, our journalism and communications strategist. He is also learning to be the leader in operations of a team that we want to learn more about at MCLB Barstow. Robert, now it's time to ask you about New Orleans Saints and to move into your love of the decorations around your office. It's time for the segment where we talk about your recognition, awards, history, and how you guide your staff. Because you've been so composed all story long on the Christina Silva Show, I want to hear about how you discipline and then reward your employees and how you relax on weekends with something with red skin. Take it away. Okay, well, um, New Orleans Saints, well, good team, enjoyed watching them, and enjoyed doing security at the Superdome while I was in New Orleans. Um, Now, getting to my employees, we work as a team. Um, I reward them when they do well, and discipline on the civilian side of the house is, is just a bit different than in the Marine Corps. Uh, I generally bring them in to my office and we sit down and have a chat um, about 
ways to correct their mistakes, ways to get better at their jobs. Because deep down, I consider myself a teacher now. So I don't just supervise, I teach. And what uh, I used to tell my Marines when I was in the Marine Corps, didn't tell them, I just let them know, is the rope. If you hang yourself, that's on you, not on me. I'm trying to teach you how to do it right, okay, and how to keep yourself out of trouble. On the civilian side of the house, it, it really hasn't changed that much for me, but I will bring them in and we'll have a counseling session. But it's more of an of a educational check. Uh, that's the way, that's the approach I take. Um, the guys love it. I get a lot of production out of them. Uh, and I have a really good team here now. And, and I still teach every day. I'm teaching them something different, something new that I've learned, you know, and I want to pass it on because if you don't pass on that information, it doesn't do anyone any good. You know, you know everything, but once you're gone, who's left to pick up the mantle and carry it? Nobody. So I stay in a teaching mode. That's constant. It never changes. Um, how do I relax? Uh, let's see. I, I am a big Washington fan. Okay, have been since I was a kid. <laughs> that will never change. Who that? <laughs> yeah, you're a who that fan. I'm a Washington fan. Okay, my wife is a Texans fan. So we're all big football fanatics at home. Uh, that's how we've been relaxing during the season, of course, is we watch the games every day, uh, every Sunday. Uh, even college football, college basketball, pro basketball. Uh, uh, on occasions, I'll fire up the grill almost every weekend and just throw something on. Uh, during the summer months, even though I'm still working, the girls, my daughters, and even my granddaughters, uh, come Saturday mornings, they'll go, hey, Dad, what are you throwing on the grill? You know, and we'll have a nice barbecue, whether it's brisket, ribs, chicken, or something. And let me explain one thing here. <laughs> on the East Coast, when I was growing up, when they said barbecue, I found out later through my travels in Oklahoma and Texas and Louisiana, we don't have barbecues back home. At least we didn't when I was growing up. If you threw hot dogs, hamburgers, and chicken on the grill, that was a barbecue. No, that's a cookout. Okay. <laughs> Barbecue, and is, I mean, you got to have good brisket. You got to have the ribs. You got to have, you know, meat other than hamburgers and hot dogs. Okay, and that's a barbecue. And of course, being in Louisiana, I got and my wife's background got gumbo. You got the etouffee. You got, oh boy, my mouth was watering already. So, <laughs> uh, but I, I generally relax with my grandkids right now. They're my uh, heart and soul. So are my daughters. You know, they're number one to me. Um, but those are the ones. Uh, uh, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself, ahead of you, but those have been the individuals along with my wife that keep me grounded and keeps, helps me challenge myself every day, you know, to become better at what I do. Now, I'm nearing retirement, but my love for the job, the challenges don't change. These are some things I look forward to every day. And uh, my, uh, my, my families, they're the ones that keep me pushing forward, even at this age. 
I'm sorry. I love your laugh. I'm so glad I have the opportunity to use all forms of digital media, multimedia, and the old school journalism with an ink pen and a few drafts. You have shared with me such great highlights from your Marine Corps career. And I want to share with you that when you had mentioned you get that feeling when you get the big interview, you have been that to me today. I'm aspiring to become like you in journalism and to be around for a very long time. And the day I met you at the Marine Corps Ball driving out to Barstow from LA was no easy feat with safe social distancing and talking with the generals and asking through the awesome Monford Point Marines leadership for the story, mm-hmm. there's a certain etiquette we have to follow. And we remember where we come from. We give credit where credit is due and we never publish something without permission. So I just want to say thank you, Robert L. Jackson, for giving Christina Silva the first 2021 U.S. Marine Corps dedicated interview because I've been highlighting heroism for 14 years Now I am with the Marines in 2021 because of your willingness to give me this interview. So this is just an amazing day to share with the world the esprit de corps and your voice with valor. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been very enjoyable. One more thing for you. The Monfort Point Marines. We had a Monfort Point Marine here at the base that spent 26 years in the Marine Corps, retired as a Master Gunnery Sergeant. Worked on the base for 20 years. And I have to tell you, one of the greatest people you ever want to know. His name was uh, Master Gunnery Sergeant James Brewer, an original Monfort Point Marine. Okay. When he saw that I got this job, he came to my office to visit with me every Thursday without fail. He'd come in, we'd sit down and talk for about an hour. So it's because of Marines like him that I keep, the other reason why I keep forging ahead, you know. They set the example. It's my job to carry it on. That's all I have to add. (laughs) As two journalists, we've been fighting for the mic, but we've been doing it with such honor and such respect for one another. And that's what Marines do. You are my brother for life. We bleed the same blood. Maybe not on the football field, but the red skin to the NOLA. We surely have a way to fill up the Superdome with the patriotism Marines deserve and the honor and dedication for the stories we tell. It comes from our heart because we have served. So Americans listening to the show and those all around the world through Voice America's platform can surely know that a glimpse into the portal of the lives of our troops is no easy feat. And it certainly shows the cost of freedom isn't free. Can you agree? I totally agree with you. What's uh, coming up in the Bars? prospector because we can reach your magazine online to see what's happening with the families at MCLB Barstow. Mm-hmm. Well, this, uh, this next issue that we're putting out, it goes out on the 14th of this month. Uh, you can probably see it on our website the next day, the 15th. It's usually our year in review edition. And that's every first, every January, the first, uh, issue of the prospector is dedicated to our previous year in review. So we can look back on a lot of the photos and brief synopsis of some of the stories that we've written and the activities that have happened on the base throughout 2020. This year, uh, at this point, it's a little unpredictable, but we're still going to be forging ahead, writing those stories, talking about people, writing about folks on the base and uh, taking care of those events that happen should they go? It always seems like we had to work harder. And I still do that today, even though I don't have to, but I work hard because these guys, like I said before, I don't want to sound repetitious, but these guys laid the groundwork for a lot of us and where we are today. 
and, and it's our job. It doesn't matter whether you're African-American or some other ethnic group. It's our job to continue that legacy. We're one now. We are one. One team, one fight. So let's continue that fight as one. Okay. Hoorah. Hoorah. So that's Semper that's, Fi. Semper well, the fi. National Montford Point Marine Association has a museum, and they also have many fundraisers that keep the legacy going. I happen to be a member at large, and I've just recently joined the New Orleans chapter with Vice President Ron Johnson. He's an amazing leader. Oh. And your favorite Montford Point Marine, once again, his full name, we give honor to him. The picture in your office, I'll never forget. It was Master Gunnery Sergeant James Brewer, an amazing guy. My award here was from, and that's an example of mentoring, was Mentor of the Year uh, in 2007. It was mentoring uh, Marines and civilians. And it wasn't telling them what to do. It was giving them ideas on better ways to do things and better ways to succeed. Uh, I was voted in, much to my surprise, but I've had Marines go on to, to, to be company leaders, corporate America, MBAs, master's degrees, a couple of them with PhDs, uh, civilians that have gone from a GS-7 or 9 position all the way up to a GS-13, 14, and 15. Uh, those are successes to me, but it wasn't something that I was looking forward to. It was just I felt the need to teach again. So if teaching is mentoring, then I'll accept that. Most definitely. This has been a complete show with us talking about mentorship, you learning from others, and also being the teacher. That seems like what is going to make your retirement so special. Because I know even if you're going to retire in about a year, you'll definitely be hanging around MCLB Barstow and other places Marines gather. I've got a special place I want to invite you to. It's called the Leatherneck Club of Las Vegas, where the National Montford Point Marine Association has a shadow box. What oh. historic happening could that possibly be? I'll be there. You mentioned some of the generals over the years and other iconic Marines you've interviewed always have a message for the young Marines. How would you, in closing, like to implore young Marines seeking careers in the communications and journalism field? Okay, overall, uh, just in general, you have to constantly challenge yourself to get better. You can't be satisfied with just the way things are. Well, I guess I'm going to be here for a while. Then you'll never get ahead. You'll never succeed. Keep your mind open. Always look for better ways to do things. Always look for ways to better yourself as a professional and as a person. Never be satisfied with being stagnant. And that's about it. Short, sweet, to the point. Yes, fans, we've met our mission with Creative Resiliency Solutions through the story of Master Sergeant Retired of the United States Marine Corps, Robert L. Jackson. What a thorough time to want barbecue and football. Who's yes. going to win the Super Bowl? Who's going to win it? Uh, well, I'll give the nod to Kansas City right now. Um, because those guys, even though they lost this weekend, they lost because they had the scrubs on the field. Uh, but I, I see them going and getting their second consecutive Super Bowl win. Uh, it might be against Green Bay. It might be against New Orleans. Sure won't be against my team. <laughs> but uh, I see Kansas City actually taking it again. That's my prediction. 
Well, look, okay. Marines are loyal, and you've got to keep those Washington Redskins at heart. Your office is such a man cave in one way or another, and you've got the Washington Redskins to root for because just like the Saints, they've got to get their one Super Bowl in your lifetime. To my daddy who served in the Army, go Saints, because I think they're going to head up with the Chiefs, and the only thing I want from Kansas City is some barbecue, and <laughs> I'll take my Saints to the win again. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Christina Silva Show, Robert. It's been an amazing time knowing that you're the DOD civilian that has had a uniform on and that cares, just like me, about continuous service for a lifetime. To our Marines and their families, we say, oorah to a job well done. Keep on serving and keep on telling us what's going on in the Marine Corps world with your communications. Salute to your team, and we'll see you next time educating our veterans live. Thank you. You be safe as well. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Keep on tuning in to the Christina Silva Show Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific time on Voice America's Variety Channel. Take it easy, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Christina Silva Show. Be sure to check back for new episodes every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon and Semper Fi. Mm-hmm.